Glad that you could join us for Sunday worship with CCSC. I'm Harold, one of the pastors, and I'm going to take us back into the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and 6 through 11. It's entitled Sabbath Rest, Sabbath Rest, How to Reach the End. Let's give our attention to this as I read the passage for us. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And jumping down to verse 6, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is God's word. Three headings, why we don't get enough of Sabbath rest. Second, we're going to define what is it. Last but not least, how to reach it. Okay, first, why we don't get enough of it, enough rest. Uh, on Sunday, 60 Minutes carried an episode on the big quit or the great resignation. It is reported that the highest numbers or highest quit rate uh, since labor statistics uh, were conducted in America, that that's happening right now. And the uh, chief economist at LinkedIn, uh, Kim Kimbrough, she explained it this way. People have been living to work for a very long time, but the pandemic brought about that moment of reflection. Okay, reflection. Uh, people are able to pause and consider, what do I really want to do? What do I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, what gets my juices flowing? How much do I want to work? How much should I work? What for? And it seems that what shifted in favor of uh, the employee, at least for now, is uh, employees are seeking flexibility. Flexibility, even more than paying benefits. Um, this is an evident outcry uh, for people to find a better work-life balance. You know, it's an outcry for rest, appropriate rest. Now, the Bible, long before 60 Minutes, diagnosed this basic human need for rest and actually prescribed the only remedy. The rest that you and I need most the rest that human beings were made for is spiritual and theological at its roots. It's not just a cultural, social, environmental, or economic uh, thing. It is, according to this passage, has everything to do with God. In other words, you cannot find rest without running into God. Rest comes from God. We find rest in and with God. 
So why is it that we don't get enough rest? Now, Augustine, before his Christian conversion, was an addict, an addict to pleasure, to sex. And then when he met Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, he famously shared, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. See, what this means is that we were made to be in right relationship with our Creator God. And if we're not in a right relationship with God, all other relationships with work, our bodies, our identity, finance, even pleasures and recreation, they all deteriorate. They, they all run out of whack. And they actually fail to deliver true rest. You see, if you are not right with God, you and I are always going to overstress. We'll continue to overwork. We're going to overobsess. We're going to overcompensate in some way. And it does not matter how many job transitions or options, how many therapy sessions, how many diversions, how many vacations or breaks you can get. Why is it that we don't get enough of the rest that we need most? It only comes from a right relationship with God. Otherwise, we never really do rest. It's never enjoyable because nobody was made to live apart from the living God. All right, so now we get to what is it? What, what is this Sabbath rest that Hebrews 4 is speaking of? I'll define it this way. It's R-E-M for the soul. And that's how I once heard it in very, various different ways. But it's, it's your deepest uh, inner being, your soul actually falling asleep. Rapid eye movement for the soul. Now, in the Bible, there's two kinds of rest that come to us. One kind of rest comes now, and there's a picture-perfect, final, everlasting rest that comes in the future. Uh, in the New Testament, this is a crucial timeline. It's called the now and the not yet. We get a rest both in this age and in the age to come. Jesus and Paul referenced this age and this age to come frequently. And this is very crucial for us to understand. You see, for Christian people, you and I are living at a time in which you might say dawn has just broken in. You know, it's pitch dark. It seemed hopeless. You were in despair. It was cold. But the first beams of light pierced through, broke through the darkness. And because who of who Jesus is and what he has done, that light not only is pierce the darkness, but is overcoming all darkness. The age or the situation in which we find ourselves is you can see, you can sense, you know, you can feel the sunlight, but you have to keep heading towards it. That sunlight only signals that there's a, a better, truer promised land that awaits. See, so Sabbath rest, we can taste both now, <coughs> excuse me, and also into the future. Now, this is why Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he turns around and says, He makes me lie down. See, he makes me lie down. You see, there's a rest that you can experience now, here and now. 
And sometimes uh, God literally has to make us lay down. Uh, he forces you into hospital bed. He forces you to stay in your room. Uh, he humbles us. Uh, he shows us our absolute limitations, our weaknesses. And oftentimes, because he loves you, he loves you, he is uh, resetting you. He's sanctifying you. Uh, maybe sometimes he's actually saving you from something. He makes me lie down. And then the psalmist goes on to say, he restores my soul. See, God makes us lay down to rest, to restore our souls. You know, why don't we humble ourselves, lay down, and rest before God has to make us do that? But there's also a Sabbath rest that's up ahead, a final, everlasting, perfect kind of rest. We read this in verses 8 through 10 again. I'll read it for us. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There is a rest, the kind of rest that God himself enjoys. And we get to join with God in that Sabbath rest. But it's for another day later on. Okay, REM for the soul. REM for the soul. Why we don't get enough of Sabbath rest? Second, we just looked at what is Sabbath rest? Third, last but not least, and we're going to have to spend more time on this one. How to reach Sabbath rest? How to reach the end? How do we enter that deepest, soul-satisfying, uninterrupted Sabbath rest? I want you to look at verse 1. It might not be what you expect, but we have to start with this. Verse 1. Let, let us fear, let us fear, lest any of you have seemed to or failed to reach it. We have to begin with the dosage of fear. Fear. You know, there are appropriate adrenaline-giving fears. Uh, I heard a story from an old professor over at Princeton where he saved his wife during a free car accident. There was a surge of almost super energy so that he could save his wife, although it terribly injured him. When you want to save the loved ones or were made uh, to be on high alert, you know, fight or flight when you sense imminent danger or threat to your life. These are healthy fears. And in the same way, there are most appropriate, healthy eternal life-saving, eternal life-giving, life-preserving fears to be had. You know, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, and of course I'm trying to help and train you as listeners to not only pay attention to the words of the Bible, what is said here, but to its tone. How is it said? How is it said? What would you say is the tone here in Hebrews chapter 4? Is it nice and easy? Uh, does it feel like uh, you can coast? Is it casual? Not at all. Not at all. Not if you read this right and you sense what the Holy Spirit intends to do in this passage. It's like a nuclear alarm going off. Going off. I mean, blaring, deafening to your ears. That's the tone. 
This is why in verses 12 and 13 of the same chapter, it describes that the Word of God is living and active. It's, it's a sharp, double-edged sword that slices and dices. It cuts through all of our thoughts and our intentions. And it leaves us naked and exposed before the living God. Can I ask you, how can this not frighten you? How can this not induce appropriate fear? Now, you know, as you're listening to this, does this, does this frighten you at all? <laughs> uh, let's be frank. I mean, do you take any of this seriously? Do you care about these matters? Now, I'll tell you, those who do get fearful in the most appropriate way, it's because the Word of God and His Holy Spirit is working in you. You know, it's only people who fear that verse 7 might be happening to them. Verse 7, it says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, if you fear that that might be happening, if you fear that that has happened to your hearts, you're going to be all the more conscientious. You're going to notice if it's happening. You're going to want to cultivate it. You're going to want to do something about it so that it doesn't continue to happen. You know, if you fear how your mind and heart, even as you're listening to this, is always somewhere else. It's always somewhere else. It's on a golf course or it's on a sporting field. It's on the beaches. Uh, it's back at work trying to make more progress or make more money. You know, do you fear? Do you fear that you may not listen and respond to the Word of God like you used to or like you should? If at all you've ever listened and responded to the Word of God. You see, if you have that kind of dosage of fear, you'll probably become more intentional. You're wanting it to become more better prepared, maybe even prayerful, and discipline yourself so that you will listen and take in the Word of God for all it's worth. You know, in this passage, there's a lot of reasons to be fearful. If you fear how unbelief, bitterness, and disobedience left an entire generation in the saints of old. Now, mind you, that generation wandering through the wilderness had seen the miracle of God parting the Red Sea, vanquishing all their foes in the kingdom of Egypt, and they were led by none other than Moses. Moses, one of the greatest leaders, pastors, preachers who ever lived. And that entire generation, although they had seen a miracle and were led by Moses, what does it say? What did it tell us here? In chapter 3, they failed. And in chapter 4, they failed to reach the end. They never entered the promised land. They never experienced Sabbath rest. Now, you see, if you do have the proper fears, you do have the proper fears that if that could happen to them, maybe it could happen to me, maybe it could happen to you, then you're going to be quicker about confessing and repenting all kinds of elements that were evident in that generation of unbelief, bitterness, and disobedience. I know if you remember when we were studying Hebrews chapter 5, five and six, uh, 
we happily learn that no genuine believer in Jesus Christ, no one who has been saved by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ can ever, ever, ever fall away. But much more often than not, do you know why genuine believers never fall away from the living God? It's because they fear God. They fear falling away from God more than anything else in all the world. That kind of fear has been instilled. Back to this passage once again. The preacher says, lest any of you, any of you fail to reach the end. Here's what he means to say. Nobody should presume. Nobody can coast. Nothing is guaranteed, at least from our perspective and our own experience, because time will tell, trials will tell, the wilderness of life, brutal and disappointing and dry and thirsty as we may go for very prolonged seasons, the wilderness will tell. And of course, this ongoing pandemic and endemic, I hear stories across the board. I think the pandemic will tell. Whether spouses and family and children, even lifelong churchgoers, including you, will continue to have faith and follow Jesus Christ all their days. All these things are yet to be revealed. Now, will you reach the end? How will you reach the end? First, a healthy dosage of fear, the most appropriate fear. Here's second, set apart a day. Set apart a day for the worship of God, works of mercy and love, and of course, necessities for sure. Set apart a day for the worship of God, the fellowship with God's people, and rest. Rest from what? What should you rest from at least one day a week as, in as so much as is possible? Rest from trying to be superhuman. Rest from trying to be more than you are created to be. Rest from more than you are. Because as long as you try to be superhuman, it'll make you subhuman. It will break you down in the end. Your work and health and all your relationships will suffer anyhow. While a weekly rhythm of rest makes you more like God. God himself rested on that seventh day. Now you see, this day of rest, this day of Sabbath keeping, is not only a gift from God, but it is his longest and repeated command. In the book of Genesis, God made the Sabbath day holy. He calls it holy. And without getting into all the meanings and layers of profound implications of that, I'll just simply state this. God made the Sabbath holy. You really want to mess with that. If you mess with this, you're going to mess with all of life. How will you and I reach the end? How will you and I enter that final Sabbath rest? First, a dosage of fear. Second, set apart a weekly rhythmic day. Third, Third, verse 11, strive, strive, strive until the end. I know it seems counterintuitive, rest, but I also need to be striving. Absolutely. A focused effort, a faithful 
strain, steadiness, every day, endurance, perseverance. You know, all these things that I just mentioned, you know, when I was younger, I'll confess to you, they were the least attractive things, the least attractive qualities. But now I find them more precious than ever. Who will finish? Who will last? Who will reach the end? You know, the book of Hebrews was chosen months ago for such a time as this, for such a season as this, where faithfulness all the way to the end seems to be one of the most difficult things to do. But who can strive? Who's going to keep this up? <laughs> Our passage tells us, ironically, those who regularly and deeply rest, those who are rested by believing in the gospel, they're the ones that are going to reach the end. Look at verse 2 again of chapter 4. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Here's the preacher telling us why that generation failed to reach the promised land. Why they never finished well. Because they heard the good news, which is the gospel, but they never believed it. They never learned to believe in it. And so they never benefited from the gospel. Hebrews chapter 10, would you turn there with me? It'll be shown right here, verses 11 and 12. It reads, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, sat down. This is an echo of chapter 1, verse 3. It's repeated. And why is our great high priest sitting down? Because all the work that it would ever take to take away all of our sins has been accomplished. It's been completed. It's done. It's all done. Jesus has nothing left to do to make you and I right with God. If you come by faith, if you come to Jesus by faith, receive and need the forgiveness of all of your sins because He did all the work. You can stop trying to do all the work to present your own self-righteousness. You can finally rest from all the work it would take to please a perfect and holy God. And you can only really rest when you rest in the entirety of the work that God already did for you in Jesus Christ. Do you see Jesus Christ sitting? Do you see him sitting? He's resting so that you and I can rest. You and I can rest. You know how you can get REM for your soul? You can get it right here, right now. You can begin to taste and experience the deepest, satisfying rest for your soul. Just pray this. Would you pray this with me right now? If you need to. Father God, would you accept me? For Jesus' sake, not my own. Could you forgive my sins, receive me, love me, 
come into my life and lead me, not based on what I've done, but based on what Jesus Christ, your son, has done for me. If you pray that, if you pray that, the righteousness of God is given over to you and your soul can finally fall asleep. Oh, how are we going to reach the end? How are we going to reach that picture-perfect final everlasting Sabbath rest? Dosage of fear. Second, set apart a weekly day. Third, strive, strive, strive until the end. Fourth, last but not least. Let me go back to chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I'll read it for us. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's four, last but not least. Exhort. Exhort one another. I need to be exhorted. We all need to be exhorted. And we need to be exhorting one another. To exhort someone means emphatically urging someone to do something. Emphatic urging someone to do something. In this case, it's to keep at it. It's to keep at it. It's to persevere until the end. Do you know how much we need exhortation? Because our hearts easily become unbelieving. Our hearts easily become evil. It also goes on to say sin is deceitful. Sin hides. Sin minimizes itself. Sin thrives in secrecy and isolation. You know, we began by saying, you know, this whole season of the great resignation, Americans quitting jobs like never before. It's the same, same holds true in my calling across the board for pastors. You know, in October 2021, the Barna uh, poll um, concluded that 38% of pastors in the last year contemplated quitting, contemplated an alternate career because pastoring has just gotten this tough. Thanks be to God, I've been recovering and doing so much better because of sabbatical and prayers and counseling and all the kind of love that you have shown to me. But right now might be the toughest season pastors have ever, ever had to experience or endure. You know, on this note, I invite all of you to attend, not only to attend, but it's because I need your prayers for toward the uh, Asian American Leadership Conference put on by Asian American leaders. It's a national group, first of its kind, with Gospel Coalition and Sola and Cali all coming together here in Brea in April. I'll have you check out this website, aalc.network. Please, would you register? And if you can't, would you please pray for me and all the pastors to be gathered there? One of the talks that I'm preparing for and I'm passionate about now is preaching to preachers on the verge of quitting. Preaching to preachers on the verge of quitting. What is it that preachers need? What is it that I need? We need emphatic, passionate, urging to reach the end. You know, I really, really want to see all my pastor friends make it to the end because 
Many don't. I want to see all of you at CCSE and in our networks of friends and family and relatives and communities. Oh, how I so want to see you all reach the end. Don't you want to see your loved ones reach the end? Don't you want to see me reach the end? How we need exhortation. How we need regular, passionate urges. How we need one another. You know, how we need the church more than ever. And of course, this is what we're going to conclude on in the Hebrew series at the end of this month. On the absolute vital need of one another in the church. You know, because of the very power of God, the persevering power of God, the presence of God comes through the gospel as we believe and rest in the gospel, but also comes through his very people. His very people, you and me to one another, you and me to my own heart, to speak into the depths of my own soul so that we will overcome unbelief, we will overcome trials, we will overcome our sinful habits, we will overcome the wilderness of life. We can overcome everything that comes along our way to reach the end. We will reach the end because God is yet so faithful and so merciful, stronger even while we are so weak. But he always does that. He always does it through you and through me in the very gospel. Let me pray for us as we respond to his word this day. Father in heaven, we thank you that you urge us. We thank you that you awaken and examine our hearts, our natural, true condition before you. Oh God, and I pray that you would instill all the things that we most need so that none of us would fail to reach the end. Lord Jesus, do your gospel work in ministry, even virtually now. And we ask that you would be pleased and glorified. We would be built up and continue to believe and follow Jesus all the days of our life. Oh, hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.